like right now when you talk to your realtor partners or you talk to even your clients, what do you feel that's coming through the phone that they're most anxious about so that we can try to help right. dispel um, that a little bit? What I'm finding with the agents is that they're very worried about this market definitely becoming like 2008, but that buyers just aren't moving forward with a purchase and mm -hmm. what that's going to do to obviously their livelihood and, mm -hmm. and their family. Um, they want to kind of know what we can do to help them improve mm -hmm. the market for the buyers and make them feel more comfortable. So highlighting the temporary buy down has been a big thing for me. Mm -hmm. Highlighting much of what you have said in the past um, about rates will eventually come back down, but until they do, right now you're basically paying 100% interest on yeah. a rental. Because sure. none of that money is recouped. So when when you spend that whole year renting instead of buying, hoping that in a year you can buy and the rates will be down to 4%, well, we can't guarantee that. It's a thought. We think it's going to happen, but mm -hmm. there is no guarantee, number one. And number two, if it does happen, that competition is going to flood back in the market. And then you're going to find it more difficult to purchase the home that you want, like it was four or five months ago. Mm -hmm. So buying now, when homes are sitting a little longer, you've got that leverage, mm -hmm. is a really good thing to do, even though your rate might be six, six and a half. Because you're still building towards equity. You're in the home now. You're only moving the one time to get into the home that you want. Mm -hmm. You are making that payment, so you're building that equity towards your family's future. Mm -hmm. Not wasting your money. And then in a year, if rates do come down to four and it's advantageous to refinance, which a simple calculation will let us know if that's to your benefit or mm -hmm. not. We refinance, and you haven't wasted any money yeah. renting. Yeah. Um, and you're also not worrying about the competition game. Mm -hmm. So it's it's and and there's I think with homes sitting on the market a little longer, you have those sellers that are maybe more motivated to help with some closing costs or some other things that will benefit the buyer. Yeah. So let me ask you about that. So. Now that the market is in a shift, right? We haven't completely shifted to buyer's market, but we're Not kind of yet. in that middle, right? Right, right? Where we're still, you can still demand the true fair value of your home, but there's some negotiation around cost or maybe even price, right? Right. Um, I'd like to hear from you and then I'll give you my thoughts. When someone comes to you and says, you know, this, this house has been sitting 20 days, it's 460, we're thinking about going in at 450. What do you feel what do you feel is more advantageous in this market to try to go after the reduction or to try to go after the buy down or to try to go after maybe concessions? Because there's three ways you can win. Mm -hmm. And I really think some of it depends on the buyer, obviously, mm -hmm. like what is their goals? Yes. Um, but what, what would you say your overarching advice is to someone that's like, look, I want to be active in this market mm -hmm. because I think I can get a good deal. Where do you think the best bang for your buck is? as far as like negotiating with sellers right now? Great question. Um, I have never thought lowering a sale price was the most advantageous. Yeah. It doesn't really move the needle. Because you take 10, 15, 20,000 off a sale price, you're gonna save 10, 15 bucks. bucks in your payment. Yeah. Mm. I mean, you're not, you're not gonna save that much. Where if you're getting those concessions, if that's the goal, if the buyer's low on funds mm -hmm. and we're doing a down payment assistance program, mm -hmm then we can subsidize that extra cash needed to fill in that gap from seller concessions and that really saves the buyer a lot from cash to close. But if managing that mortgage payment is what's critical for that buyer with rates going up, the temporary buy down all day long would, would be the way that I would, I would go. Mm -hmm. And I like that idea because then it keeps the neighborhood values consistent. You're not seeing that flux with the, the lower sale price and it mm -hmm. starting to affect your, your neighbors. Mm -hmm. um, and it also helps, you know, the the agents keep more cash in their pocket as sure. well. <laughs> it does because the sale price stays up higher. I agree. And um, it helps the seller too because the amount of money they're going to spend on those concessions or the buy down is typically going to be less than what they would lower that sale price for. Yeah. So I have a scenario, and this is real. It happened this morning, talking with a buyer that's buying their second or third home. Uh, so not a first-time home buyer, and they're looking at a house at 460k. Wow. So they were thinking, you know, it's been on the market 20 days. It's a little softer. I'm going to go at 450. And I said, time out. Before you go in at 450, here's the difference in your payment. I think it was 
$68 or something. Yeah. I said, that doesn't really move the needle. Yeah. I said, think about like this. Instead of asking them for 10 grand off, what if you ask them for seller concessions, 10 grand? Like, well, what's the difference there? Well, they were gonna, if the seller paid nothing, right? They're all in, down payment cost, everything on this property was gonna be about 30,000. Mm -hmm. I said, it would be 20. Right. Real money. Yeah. Like, right off the top, right. 10,000 less. And I said, so if you're looking for a way to win, and a lot of people are like, look, I'd like to buy. I just want to know how to win in this market. For this particular person, the way to win was if I save 10 grand up front, but my payment's 200 higher than if my rate was four and a half, right? Mm -hmm. It takes 50 months right. to not win. You, you do that math for them and you show them, okay, if you take it off the sale price, you might be saving 50 bucks a month in a payment. But if I save you 10,000 cash up front, What's the long-term math? Yeah, so basically yeah. I was like, imagine this, that 10 grand, you put it in an account and every month you take 200 out and supplement that payment right. as if you had a four and a half percent, right? Exactly. By the time rates come back to us, you're still gonna have more money in that account than zero. Mm -hmm. But if you did it the other way, you don't win. Right, no, you don't. So you're not gonna run out of savings mm -hmm. by the time you redo this loan, likely. Right. And if you do, it's because we were all wrong and you still have a lower rate than the current market. Exactly. So. Right. There's ways to win right now, and I think a big, I think the two big ones are you either take the concessions to lower your cost of entry, change your mindset to how cheap can I get into this house, mm -hmm. how much did that save me, and then how long is that run rate before I break even, that's number one, or doing that temporary buy down, getting 2% off your rate year one, 1% 1 off your rate year two, because on a big house like the one I was just mentioning, that might be 500 a month mm -hmm. year one. Absolutely. If you lower it 10 grand, you save 70 bucks. Who cares about 70 bucks? I mean, 70 bucks is real money, but it's not 500. Right. 500 gets me excited. 500 gets me off the couch and looking at real estate again. Mm -hmm. 70 does not get me excited. No. Because I'm, I'm still so focused on the rate that $70 doesn't do anything for me. But if you save me 500 year one and 250 year two, I feel like I'm getting the deal. And you really are because the flip side of that is if you don't buy it at 460 and you wait for rates to come back to four and a half, you're likely not only going to get no $10,000 or a reduction in the price, but you're going to have someone else competing with you that drives it to 470. Correct. So now you've paid 20,000 more mm -hmm. and I really hope you like your four and a half percent rate because you're not really saving any money. Yeah. Correct. And when you help folks see that you know, the, the difference in the savings in their bank versus what they're paying every month, I think it really, really opens their eyes to the, to the possibilities of what they could do with that money. Um, I sit and I talk with my buyers and first you wanna find out, are they payment sensitive mm -hmm. or are they cash sensitive? Many times they're both, but you know, we can't always affect both sides of that. Mm -hmm. It really depends on, on what's going on. But um, if they're payment sensitive, then the temporary buy down makes great sense. If they're cash sensitive, then seller concessions make great sense. And some buyers that have plenty of money to work with, still those concessions help if they're buying a home that they immediately see, I need some cosmetic upgrades here. I, I don't like these orange countertops. I mean, <laughs> you anytime you buy a home, you have unexpected costs. Right, right. So, so I think that helps. And I, any buyer that gets into a home that doesn't have a payment fluctuation tolerance of 40, 50, $60, and then maybe that's not the best time to buy a home because, or at that price point anyway, because things happen and, yeah. and your budget cannot be so tight that $40, $50 is make it or break it. I can't afford this home anymore. Yeah, I think what I, that's a good point. And I think another point to be made is if 40 or $50 fluctuation in your payment turns you off to owning real estate, you need to understand that that can happen any year. With taxes it could be your and insurance, insurances. it could be your taxes, it could be anything. And you can shop insurance, but you can't always shop 100%. taxes. 100%. <laughs> so, you know, fluctuation will happen in your payment. Your payment will increase if you have an escrow account. Right. And even if you don't have an escrow account, your cost of ownership will increase. Taxes do go up, insurance do go up. Okay. So, those things will increase over time. And I think that um, if you're that sensitive to it, to where that first little increase is not something that you can absorb, then you need to look at things differently. Exactly. You might need to look at a different range of property to look at. Mm -hmm. Instead of going to 450, maybe you look at 400 so that you have room to absorb some of those things. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, saying that this is going to be my payment forever, right? Well, on the principal and interest, yes. But on the rest of it, no. Right. Those are things that we do not get to control. Mm -hmm. 
And I think that people lose sight of that sometimes. And I think that that can be something that, you know, for us, we ended up, we ended up getting phone calls a year later because they're not happy their payment went up $48. Right. Well, what, it, it's not because we didn't do a good job getting you the house. Mm-hmm. It's because this changed or this changed, which are variables we don't get to control. Well, that's, that's the beauty of, of you and I and many of the folks here at Fairway. I think we all have that servant heart and that giving attitude sure. that we're willing to spend that time with the buyer up front and lay it all out. I've got a closing coming up in a few days and the cash to close went up by $1,084 and the buyer was very upset. It wasn't different from our original estimate, mm-hmm. but it was different from their expectation based on the pre-CD. Mm-hmm. And when we broke it all out, we did a graph and showed them Here's what changed this decrease, that increase, to help them understand the difference. And then they were, okay, we're comfortable with it now. Mm -hmm. They understood. And that's really what it takes with with your buyers, is being willing to break it down and show them the differences and help them understand in terms they can grasp. And then usually they're, they're good. They understand. Yeah. So that right there is why I think that, I don't think you can automate that. No, you can't. And I think that that's why we will always have the need for the human interaction when it comes to the home loan process and even the home buying process from a real estate side because we, you know, the the transactions themselves stand on their own. What gets in the way is people, mm-hmm. emotions, yeah. perception, lack of expectation. So if you don't have people in the mix, there's no way to help someone understand that this isn't actually an error. This is this way because of xyz so you know when people say like oh well you can automate this and you can automate that you can automate a lot of things but you cannot automate relationships you cannot automate empathy Mm -hmm. and you cannot automate people having a caring heart and wanting to make sure that people are comfortable with transactions and i think that it's good to use technology and automate the things that make sense Um, but only if it is with the idea in mind that I'm going to have more meaningful conversations because I've automated these other things. If that's how you're using technology, I think you can win next 5, 10, 15 years. But if you're using technology to do it all for you, uh, without the goal being I can have more meaningful conversations now, whether it be with buyers or realtors or coworkers, if that's not your main focus is people, Using technology so that you can be better with people, I think you will lose. Yes, I I 100% agree with that. And what I love is when clients do come back to me a year or two later, they get a letter in the mail from a competing lender wanting to refinance them at 2%, and you're all, well, in today's world, no, no, that's not going to happen. But they come back to you because you've built that trust. Mm -hmm. This happened, and I don't understand. Can you help me? Mm And that's when you know you've hit your mark. You've built that trust. They know that you're an expert. They know that you understand and that you're going to take the time to, to hold their hand. Mm-hmm. And it builds that relationship. And, and that's what I strive for. Why do you think more people don't focus on building their business around truly having meaningful relationships with their clients? Why do people, why do you think that there's an attraction to transactional business versus relationship business? What is the attraction there? Because I don't understand the transactional business I, to where it's like I want to do one and if I do a good job, fine, and I'll try to automate the follow-up, but if you come back to me, that's fine. If not, I'm still casting my net constantly. You know, I didn't build my business that way. I still always feel like relationships are always going to be key, but, you know, I feel like you're the same as me. When you look at it through that lens, what do you think? Why do you think people get trapped into that? I think it could be two or threefold, even. You've you've got some folks that really don't have that level of communication. Maybe they didn't grow up with it in their families and they don't know how to develop relationships. So they just Mm -hmm. go at it on the focus of, I just got to get my job done. Just Mm got to get my job done. And, and, that maybe you could teach them a little bit there to, to expand and have the more of the relationship mentality. Others, um, just they're, they're just driven to you know, make the money and that's all they see is the money and that's unfortunate. 
But then I too think just the way the world is today with easy access, emails mm -hmm. and cell phones and, and um, text messaging and all the social media apps, there's a lot of distraction. Mm -hmm. And you have to learn to weed through some of that mm -hmm. to make it intentional. Unfortunately, we've got a generation of kids growing up right now that all they've known is technology and that's how they communicate. So getting that one-on-one -on -one relationship is going to be a little bit more challenging for them unless they have someone help them develop those, those skills. So I think that another part of it might be, and this is just me assuming, like I'm not built in that, I, I am not built as a type A, go get it, doesn't matter, confrontation is fine, just go win, I'm not built that way. That's not like when you look at my personality assessment, I'm very low when it comes to that area. So sales for me is a learned behavior, right? Um, my high points are systems, organization, and making sure that people feel good about their environment, right? Um, the sales part is learned behavior. And I had to make systems for sales to be successful for me because it's not normal for me to just go meet a random person and say, oh, I do this work. You know, you should think about me if you do this work and tell all your friends about this work. That, that stuff doesn't come natural to me. Yeah. So um, I'll get into how I got into this business. So I've been in it since 2002 and I was selling motorcycles, wow. which I loved. And I thought, well, I'll never leave this job because I'm making uh, 5000 a month and I get to ride bikes every moment that I am not selling one, right? But even in that job, I was really terrible at it in the beginning because it did not come natural to me. But I had a good mentor in that job that helped me kind of internalize a system. Mm -hmm. He was like, first of all, what you need to understand is no one comes into the motorcycle dealership Tuesday at 1 p.m. on accident. They didn't just happen upon here. This has been planned for days, and they just are looking for an excuse to buy. And you just have to help them. Yeah. So he would, that opened my eyes, obviously, because that, that never occurred to me. Right. Like, it is something that you absolutely do not need. So a planned trip to the motorcycle dealership where you're not going to look at parts, you're just looking at motorcycles, your intent is you want to buy a motorcycle. And if someone can just show you how easy and possible that is, they would buy one. Maybe he really wants to buy the motorcycle. He's waiting for the wife to say it's okay. Yeah, or <laughs> just for you to like clear the hurdles that she gave him. Like, yes. well, if you can do this and this, fine. He's looking for someone to help him out. Exactly. I didn't get that, right? I just saw obstacles because I had no system. So he was like, okay, here's how it's going to work. Here's, let, here's just say seven steps or whatever it was. And internalize it, walk it through, do the things. Yeah. And I started doing that and uh, just started selling and selling and selling. And I had several very successful months and, uh, you know, made a, good, made a good life with my career selling motorcycles. And it wasn't until, you know, I was engaged and baby coming and all these other things that I was like, okay, I guess I have to get like a grown-up job. <laughs> and I had a friend that I thought very highly of that had left motorcycles to go do mortgages. And he was like, hey, you know, single largest purchase people make frequently. Yes. So that's why I'm here. So I went and interviewed there and I started in uh, 2000, late 2002 mm -hmm. and, you know, went through the 08 and everything else and right. um, spent a lot of time on the operations side because that's my comfort. You know, I did the sales and I did it okay, but I got over to the ops side and ran ops for a few years because that was where my comfort was. And then they asked me to run a branch in Baton Rouge. Oh. And as a young man, I was 23 at the time, um, second youngest person in the branch. And I thought, like, I'm just going to come in and whip all these people into shape. <laughs> and that was the worst possible thing. I didn't yes. have, I didn't have, you know, I hadn't, I had empathy and I had humility, but I thought those were weaknesses mm -hmm. at 23. Right. You know? just follow it just do what i say just do it you know what i mean yeah. and i learned so much wow. from those people because they were kind enough to not just rebel and tell me to screw off but be like maybe if you asked us differently 
Yeah. Or maybe if you, you know, there was people there that cared enough to see that my intentions were good, but my execution was terrible, <laughs> you know. And I can look back and be like, man, I was terrible. And they cared enough because I guess they could see that my heart was in the right place. But, uh, and the truth of it was, is I was intimidated by them because they were older than me. And I wanted to establish some sort of authority, which is the dumbest thing ever. Thinking back, that's the stupidest thing ever. Who cares? You know what I mean? Now I look at that and I'm like, well, why didn't I just go in there and show them that I do know how to do it and then ask them to try my way, which is what I would do today, obviously. But then I was like, do this, do this, do this. Forget everything you've ever learned. Do it this way and do it tomorrow. And they're like, "Mm, pump the brakes, little man you need to come in here and talk to us a little differently. And it was such a good experience for me. And I learned so much that when I decided to um, go on my own in 2016, I had been in ops for six years. I did not, I hadn't originated alone since 2010. I knew probably three realtors and that was it. But my wife, who believes in me more than I do, was like, look, you're kind of miserable where you are. You're not going to be able to sleep or forgive yourself if you don't try. So go build it the way you think will work, and uh, let's figure it out. You know, very, very supportive. She's amazing. Um, so, you know, that first year, I think we did $30 million as a group. And then we did 70 102 210 330 and then last year, 490 Wow, love that. But it's the people. Yes. I can do like one person's worth of work, Mm -hmm. right? But creating an environment where they are, and you're part of this, you guys are the result. You know what I mean? I just try to do my best to make sure that I'm making this the best place that you would want to work at. And I didn't, and without those people taking a moment to show me that when I was 23, would have never got there today because my mom had my mom moved to Baton Rouge with me she would have smacked me around (laughs) like you can't talk to people like that blah 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 but being there and by myself and my wife was still in nursing school here I didn't have it really anyone to bounce that stuff off of but luckily there were two or three people and I still keep in contact with them to this day that were in that branch that cared enough to be like look we know what you're trying to do but you got you got to go with this differently. Yeah. And uh, I carry, you know, <clears throat> from the first time I ever sold a motorcycle to that experience to everything in between, it's so many terrible decisions. Yeah. That you all learn from, Very and then you try not to make them again. Right. You know, and then you get to a point where you're like, I'm here because I have screwed up so much but just try not to do it repeatedly, you know? And at the same time, try to have a good art, try to keep the people in mind, not the profit. That's always important to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I when I die, if a hundred people showed up and said, was he for the people or the profit? If one person said for the profit, I would, I would be so disappointed. It's just not the person I am, right. you know? Um, so just trying to live for that. And it has been an incredible journey to get to here. Um, but now I'm at the point where I just want to give everything to everyone. Well, it shows. I mean, you have, you have a lot of loyal employees here that really deeply love you. I mean, you're, you're, you're a great leader and I think you attract the kind of people that you give out. Mm -hmm. I think what, what you give out attracts those kind of people back to you. And um, Fairway's got an amazing culture, starting with Steve Jacobson all the way down from all that I've seen. Um, and, and I really feel that openness with you. I can come to you with a problem or an issue that I have or even a personal matter, because we've talked about a few of my sure. personal matters. We all have them from time to time. Sure. And, and feel that you, you genuinely care and, and you're there and, and you promote us to take care of ourselves Nurture your heart, go with your family, do some stuff. Don't just be a slave driver and work all day long because mm-hmm. it's got to be a balance. Yeah. And and you really give that to yeah. us. And, and so it makes everybody want to stay. Well, I appreciate you saying <laughs> that. But that goes back to, I think if you aren't that way, 
with your people, then it's no different than that transactional business. True. You can't, you, if not, you're just using people like a resource. Mm -hmm. Use them up, you're burnt out, on to the next one. On to the next one. You can't right. do that. No. Like, there's so, everybody is so important in this organization that if you burnt one person out, that would live with me for a long time. Mm -hmm. if, I thought, if I thought that I didn't do everything I could to help them not get to that space. You know what I mean? And we have a lot of caring folks here. I think probably everyone at all of the branches are caring. I know right now we've got someone out on surgery and a couple out on vacation and someone out, you know, with, I mean, just different There's things. There's always someone out. And, and everybody's just pitching and covering each other's desk and helping out. And it's been, it's been really amazing to watch the eagerness mm -hmm. of, oh, you have a problem? Let me help that, help yeah. you with that. And, and I, I love that. I that love is, um, I cannot take responsibility for the culture of the place because the culture lives in each person. Mm -hmm. You know, I think people think cult culture is, you know, a cool entrance room or a cool coffee machine. That does that is not it. It's people, no. right. and it's carried on through each individual person. And we, I think, we hold each other accountable for culture. Mm -hmm. I think we do. And um, I do think I am very, I am daily impressed with how the culture is carried on by the people here. I'm in awe of the team regularly. Um, you know, and I don't ever want to take that for granted because everybody always steps up. Doesn't matter what it is, someone steps up and handles it. And you don't want to take that for granted because it's such an incredible thing that I don't think exists every, I know it doesn't exist everywhere because I've been places where it's Agreed. not that way. Agreed. Um, I would love to hear how did you, how do you get from, from starting to here, how do you get here? Wow. <laughs> well, when I was younger, like many girls, my goal was to be a nurse. Okay. And I like to travel, so I wanted to be a flight nurse. Okay. And I was going to go in the Air Force because that was an easy way to travel and do both. Okay. They have helicopters. I could fly around. I could be a nurse, and I could travel and visit things. Um, I ended up getting married at 17 to a Navy guy who convinced me, you can go in the Navy instead of the Air Force, and they have flight nurses there too, and then we could be together. And I thought, that's a really great idea. When I went to go down to enlist, I was pregnant. <laughs> so I, they wouldn't let me enlist. And uh, the, the marriage didn't go as smoothly as I would have wanted it to, but I found myself a single mom and I needed to make money. So I went to a quickie six month course to learn to type and shorthand. I was gonna be a secretary. Okay. Best thing I had. Citicorp Mortgage hired me as a data entry clerk. Okay. And this was in 83, <laughs> it was a long time ago, 83. Um, and I. I did pretty well, I guess at some point they said, do you want to learn to be a loan processor? I'm all, well, I don't even know what that is, but sure, <laughs> yeah. I'll give it a try. <laughs> and it just grew from there. Um, I did eventually end up fulfilling my dream and getting my nursing license, because as with you know the That's industry, awesome. sometimes there's a layoff. Sure. And I was laid off in, I think it was 88. And so I went to school and got my LVN and then laid off again in 94 and started on the journey to get my RN degree. But nursing school isn't one class a semester and then you're done. It's a full 40 hour week. You've got two days in clinical mm -hmm. and three days in the hospital and doing and, you know, and in the classroom and stuff. And as a single mom at the time, it was hard because I was in school all week and working evenings and weekends for my kids and I was hardly seeing them. And, my son struggled with that, so I ended up dropping out of nursing school, out of RN school, and uh, went back into the mortgage field, and I've been here ever since. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's been a great career. It's really helped my family. I stayed in the processing end until I got married in 2000, mm -hmm. remarried in 2000, because I was afraid of the commission only. Mm -hmm. I knew I could be an LO. I knew I could do it. But commission only scared me as a single mom. So I stayed in the processing role until I got married. And <laughs> consequently, my husband and I met each other as he was buying a house. Okay. And I was his processor. And the loan officer he had was not very proactive. So I did most of the work on the file. 
And when he closed on the house, he said, hey, want to go to dinner? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we went to dinner and eventually got married, of course. But uh, he allowed me to take on. Take the risk. He said, go, go be a loan officer. You're going to be great at it. We've got my income to fall back on. You're mm -hmm. going to be fine. And so that's what I did. And that was 20 years ago now. I've been in LO and each year better than the year before. Mm -hmm. And I, I love it. I love what he's allowed me to do. So we have known each other, <clears throat> I'm going to say going on four years. Yeah. And one of the reasons I wanted to hear your story, because I've never heard it quite that way. I think I've heard bits and pieces. Is because, you know, <clears throat> from me to you, I just think, one, I just think you're incredible Aww. as a person and as a coworker. And to be able to hear it, it gives me some insight because when I see how you interact with, you know, other people in our organization or customers or referral partners, you can see the young mom you can see the nurse you can see the processor you can see the admin you can see all of it mm -hmm. in there and i think that's the whole point of what we're talking about is all of those things bring you to now yes right and i really love the now mm -hmm. and i need you to know that i think you're incredible but it's really nice to be able to hear the background and be like well of course she's this amazing this is her story, obviously. And everybody has hard times, but it's what you choose, right? Yes. So you choose daily to bring the best of all of those situations forward to your customers and your partners and the people that you interact with. And that is why you are such a perfect person to have in this organization. Because that's you. what we look for. I appreciate that so much, Stephen. I really yeah. do. I think my mindset shifted um, in 89 when I got out of nursing school and now I've got this LVN license. I'm going to go be a nurse. It's going to be phenomenal. Sure. And then I got a call from my old boss. Time to go back to processing work. We're busy again. Time to rehire. And so I'm weighing the difference between going to be an LVN now with this license I just obtained or going back to processing. I was actually going to make more money in processing than I would have as an LVN, believe it or not. And I was really struggling because my heart was always with helping people as a nurse. But then I started, my mindset started to change in that I'm still helping people as a processor. Mm -hmm. I'm still saving lives, if you will. It's just from a different tangible perspective financially and helping them get into a home, which is a security that so many families crave. I mean, we all need a safe place to sleep every night. And... Homeownership gives you an added level of security mm -hmm. because it's your place and you're building your family's future. And so when I started looking at mortgages from that perspective, I'm, I'm still helping people. It's just a different way. I'm still saving lives. Yeah. And uh, so it, it, it was easier for me to go back to processing and be like, okay, this is where I should be. But then when I was laid off again and had the opportunity to go to RN school, of course, I seized that moment. But when I saw how my children were suffering from my absence sure. as a single mom, it was then still easier to say, okay, I'm giving this career up. Mm -hmm. This this dream is, is not beneficial for my family. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go back to processing. Yeah. And it's... I've been here ever since. I think it's I, worked out for you. It has. It's worked out really well. It brought me my husband. <laughs> yeah. Well, that just means that you um, build very good relationships with your clients, right? Yes. yes. If one of the results was your marriage. One of them was our marriage. Well, it was <laughs> funny when when he uh, when he finally closed on the house, and we're doing all this by email. You know, this is in yeah. this is in two two thousand, and he finally closed on the house, and uh, we're all emailing. I hadn't seen him in person yet. And uh, he says, well, are, we, are we done with the loan? And I said, well, well, yeah, the house is closed. It's yours. Congratulations. The transaction's over. We're all finished. He goes, but is the business end of our relationship done? And I'm... I'm He's asking permission there. I'm not getting yeah. it. I'm, I'm thinking, I don't want to sever a relationship business-wise. I'm still here for you. Yeah. You can call me in six months if you have a problem. And we went bantered back and forth like that for a couple of minutes. And all of a sudden, like, he's, all, he's all, look, I'm trying to ask you if... 
the business is over because I don't want to mix, mix business with personal. I want to take you out to dinner. Yeah. I'm like, oh. Oh. Okay. Well, in that case, yes, we are done with business. In that case, we're done with business. Yeah. And then he said, what's your address? I'm going to go pick you up. I said, you're not coming to my house. Yeah. He goes, why? I will meet you there. And I, I said, I'm a single mom with two kids. I'm not letting you near my family. You might be an axe murderer. <laughs> and then he said, oh, wait a minute. You've seen my credit. You know where I work. You know my financial. It was all good. So I was Dahmer. I'm just kidding. I met him there. Yeah. <laughs> and um, five months to the day after our first date, we were married. That's awesome. It happened real quick. That's awesome. But when you get older like us, you know what you want. Well, I guess that's true. <laughs> so you go for it. <laughs> yeah, I get it. You found out how me and my husband met. I'd like to know how you and Amy met. Okay. So the <laughs> story of me and my wife meeting, I will tell it because it is puts me in a much better light than my <laughs> wife does. Um, so we went to the same high school, large high school, lots of kids. Yeah. So it's very possible to go to the school and not know someone in your same grade. The reason I didn't know her is she actually skipped junior year because she's an overachiever. Ah. So she didn't grow up in my grade, but she finished at the same time. Okay. So I'm on the way to my long-term, my, my lifelong friend's house, uh, who I'm still best friends with. Mm -hmm. And on the way, I'm driving by one of the first friends I ever had as a kid. I'm driving by his house. And I just so happened to look over like, I wonder what he's doing. There's a bunch of cars there. I was like, I haven't been, I have not seen this guy in like six years. So I just pull in, knock on the door. He's like, hey, what's going on? Blah, 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 blah. Um, had no reason to be there at all. Um, she was kind of dating a guy that never wanted to go anywhere. And she was frustrated that he wouldn't go to the party. And I think that had been a recurring theme with them, like four or five, six weeks in a row. Mm -hmm. And I think when you're 18, 19, 17, whatever, like six weeks in a row of I'm not going to do anything is a lot. So she went without him, mm -hmm. and it's the first time she'd done that, and we just both happened to be there that night, wow. and uh, ended up talking a little bit, and <clears throat> due to a circumstance that she could not control, her ride could not take her home, <laughs> so I did drive her home, and uh, got her phone number, and you know she ended her whatever, and we started dating, and it was very quickly after we were dating I was like well I mean I could be done you know what I mean yeah it was just she was just different and our families were so there was so much that was different it was fascinating you know what I mean right. couldn't have couldn't have grown up different couldn't have had different siblings uh, the way that we interacted the way that we everything was just so different it was just fascinating like I could go to their house and just listen you know because yeah. it was so different um, but, you know, fast forward 22 years since we started dating and, um, you know, I still get excited when she comes home. Aww. And I think part of that is that she's been, I have pushed the chips in the middle and gone all in with everything, including our livelihood, no less than six times in our marriage and she's never once made me feel like she didn't support it. Yeah. Like easily. And not all of them have worked. But um, you know, with support like that and she, you know, I mean, you've met her. She's incredible. Absolutely. And she's a nurse. Yes. So she yep. comes from that same heart mm -hmm. of caring and uh taking care of people and she's real quick to tell me if I'm not looking at something the right way, which I need. Mm -hmm. um, she's just an incredible partner, great mother. Um, I have really enjoyed the life that we've built, obviously, and now our kids are getting to the end, which is sad. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, you're excited to watch them like learn and thrive and all these things. So it's very difficult emotionally, which you already know, when you're in that transition phase where your kids are not kids yes. but they're kids mm -hmm. you know they need you but they don't want you right <laughs> and it's such a difficult age um, but when you see them thrive and not need you you're excited and destroyed all at the same time right and so that is a constant that is a constant state that we live in right now with our daughter because she's doing very well in her sophomore year and she needs us less and less, which is exciting it and is. devastating. Right. 
all at the same time. When they start needing you less and less, it tells you that you've done your job right. Right. Um, so that's. But that's I want to keep doing my job. That's a good thing. Well, I will. I will let you know it never goes away. Yeah, I, I know. Um, my kids have been out of the house for quite some time. Now I have nine grandkids, so I, I, I relish in that and I love that. But you still have that relationship with mm -hmm. your kids, and once they start having babies, which you know will be a little. You get a different. Here, Relationship. But you get a different relationship, and then they start needing you again. I am ready to be a papa for they, sure. They Not today. <laughs> no. But I have. Let I'm already high training <laughs> for it right now. Yes. I'm training for it. I love children. Um, I think it'll be one of the coolest parts of my life to get into that part. Yeah. Um, I can be patient. I want her to be able to accomplish her goals first, uh, and then our son has started high school, so we have nobody that isn't high school or higher. And so that's kind of crazy. And uh, he's usually not great with transitions, but he's just crushing it this year. That's good. And uh, super proud of him for that, you know. But again, it's like I expected him to need us to help him transition, and he just did it, like, with a different level of maturity to his studies, right. which I'm excited about. But I'm like, okay, well, is that part done now, you know? I, you know, you know how it is. You can't help but think, is this the last time? It's tough. It won't be the last time. I, know, I assure but you. You get what I mean. Yes. Is this the last time I'll have to help with homework? Is this the last time I'll have to, yeah. you know, really help them get situated in, in their school year? And uh, as sad as that is, you know, we did start our family young. We will be able to have that next phase of our lives as still relatively young people. And we look forward to that too. And that's what I feel excited about. I mean, when I look at the bumps in my path, my journey, um, you know, the twist of events that occurred to get me married at 17 is, is a lot, a lot more than a, a kid my age should have to go through. But that journey has made me into who I am today. And, and I, I love when I look back at, at everything that, that's happened. Um, it's... it's really mind-boggling mm -hmm. um, but it's it's good. so when we go to church every Sunday that we go to church um, we're Catholic so after communion there's a there's a time where you pray okay. or you have an opportunity to pray mm -hmm. not part of the overall service it's just quiet time when you can spend time just praying if you want to sure. so I try to do all of my praying as much as I can super prayer if you will uh, in that segment, and I'm trying to remember everybody, you know, and trust me, your names come up, Misty's names come up, everybody gets prayed for in that moment, but when it comes to my children, right now, I struggle with what is, what is it that I really want to pray for them to have, you know, because they're in these phases of their lives, right. and my son's easy, he needs humility, because he's 14, they don't have humility, no. <laughs> I have a ton, and I want him to learn that, because it's such an important part of life, and I know he has a big heart, because I've seen it, right? But he could use a little humility. So that's easy. But for my daughter, <clears throat> I used to pray that she would have clarity, because I thought she struggled with decisions. But the more that I observe, I think what I really need, and I've been praying for her to have, is courage. Because ah. she's not a very, she doesn't speak up for herself a lot. So sometimes when I think, it's unclear what she wants to do. Really, she's afraid to say what she really wants to do. So That's for her, right. I pray for courage right. so she can find her voice. Yes. And because I don't care if I don't like it, I just want to know what is it that you really want to do. That's good discernment, Dad. That really is. I don't have to like yeah. it, but I do have to know what it actually is right. or I can't help. Mm -hmm. So I used to think, it used to be cloud. It was it was shrouded in this like, oh, I'm not a good decision maker. When really, at the heart of it is, is I don't feel like she felt that she could make those decisions and be taken seriously. Do you keep a prayer journal? I don't. I've just recently started because I like you. Sounds sounds like like you. I um, struggled with remembering who all to pray for because you hear so many things during the mm -hmm. day. I saw on Facebook someone was sick, someone just had a baby, you know, different things going on. So you want to remember those to pray for, and it was hard. And then as your kids go through their different transitions of life, you recognize, I and need to stop praying for this, yeah. now I need to start praying for that. And so keeping mm -hmm. a journal helps you 
um, and I've just started, so I'm new at it myself, but write out a list of who you want to pray for that day, and then you can answer prayer, check it off, prayers changed, make a line through it, and draw mm -hmm. the new thing to pray about next to it, and you can see how God answers those prayers along that mm -hmm. path. So it's... I may have to try that. Yeah. And then for my and then for my wife, I always uh, just pray for patience because she has to deal with me. <laughs> and I know that even though I may come across to everybody as someone that wouldn't be easy to deal with, I know it's not easy being my partner all the time because I do carry a lot of stress, you know. And she's so good about recognizing that ahead of time. Yeah. And she might like take less days at the ER, or, or, or at the OR, my, my apologies. She may take less shifts or something, because, you know, she loves what she does, but I think she does recognize whenever I am, you know, you know, this situation or whatever that I'm dealing with, and she might make sure that she's available more. Yes. And, you know, I mean, that's, that's just it incredible. It sounds like our, our spouses kind of mirror each other, mm -hmm. because Aaron is very much that to me. I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm high strung, but I do let things worry me and I think about things all the time and, and, and kind of will dwell on something that I feel is worrisome or that needs to get done. And he's that calm voice of reason and helps me sort through it all. He was 100% instrumental in encouraging me to become a loan officer. Mm -hmm. While I had wanted to do it for so long, I was afraid. And when he came into my life and gave me those wings and said, go give it a try, I know you're going to be great. And uh, so he's he's very much yeah. my Amy yeah. <laughs> to you. <laughs> well, my wife, she also, she does know that I am a very methodical thinker. So if I come to her and say, hey, I've made this decision in business and this is, you know, how I think it will affect us in the next three, six, nine months, she knows I've gone down every avenue, mm -hmm. I've considered every person, their well-being, I've done all those things. So she, so I think it may make her easier, easy for her to be uh, supportive, but she just always is. Yeah. I don't know, I think it's probably very hard for her, uh, but you know, I just, you know, I pray for her for patience because I know that I probably um, have asked her, like I said, to put our entire livelihood on the line no less than seven times. And she's never once not supported that. Mm. And uh, I think it's hard for people to push their chips to the middle and go for what they believe in without the support. It's very which hard. Which you know yeah. because you got that from Erin. I, I, yeah, I, I never would have, have become a loan officer as long as I had kids in the house. You know, when you've got children and they're looking up at you and they're wondering, you know, where are school clothes coming from? Where's my next meal coming from? you know, all the things in life that children need, you've got to know you can provide that. Mm -hmm. And that stable paycheck as a processor provided it. Um, meagerly sometimes. Sure. But, but provided it. Yeah. And, and it's I coming felt, in. I felt comfortable there because on the 15th and the 30th, I getting was a getting check. a check. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and no matter how much you think, I can do that. Um, the, but what if I can't? Mm -hmm. What if I don't? What if the paycheck doesn't come in? So, yeah, he gave me those wings 100%. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so important to have the support uh, in order to f really feel like you can do something. You know you can do it, but, you know, you want them to sign off on it. Absolutely. Um, the other thing, and I'm going to ask you this just to see if you've ever seen this in me, but this is a side of me that I think only you got to be in probably this organization to see it, but I'm ready to start talking about it more publicly because I think maybe some people get the wrong idea about me sometimes. <laughs> but if you were going to put me in business in a nutshell, you know, I think the people that don't know me, they don't understand that, you know, I'm a very empathetic, passionate leader, but I, and, and I love people and I want everybody to win, but I want to also beat everyone. And it's not that I don't want them to win. Yes. I just want to beat them. Like, I want to have the best mortgage company. I want us to be the most volume. I want us to do the most units. I don't want anyone to beat us in any metric ever. 
That doesn't mean I'm not rooting for them. Right. I am 100%. I want all of them to find success, but I still want to be the best. Mm -hmm. And I think that sometimes people have a hard time distinguishing those two things. I can want to be the best and still be super pumped for you. Exactly. That you're doing well. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean I don't want to be better than you. Correct. Correct. As you know, Rebecca, my loan officer assistant, is now also LOA for Edgar. Mm -hmm. And uh, Becca the other day was all, Edgar's got his fourth contract in this week. And I'm like, way to go, Edgar. I'm so excited for exactly. you. Exactly. Okay, now what's my problem? I need a contract too. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, yeah, I want to be better. I'm very excited <laughs> that you got four. I don't want to be better than Edgar. I just want one too. He's got four. I need one now. So, the pro <laughs> so yeah, that's the fundamental difference. I just yeah. want to be better. Right. Like, I want all of it to be better. I want to have the best process. I want to have the best team. I want to have the best reputation. I want to have the most closings. Anything that can be measurable, I want to be number one. But I still want you to do well. Exactly. And I don't know how to, I don't know how to explain that any differently because I know people assume that those two conflict with each other, but they really they don't. They don't. They don't. They really don't. I want everybody to win around me. Right. I just want to be better than them. <laughs> from a me all the exactly. measurables, exactly. you know what I mean? I just want my stuff to be the best. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. Does not mean I don't want them to win. Right. And when they do something amazing, I will reach out to them personally and tell them congratulations. I reach out to people that don't work in our group all the time to give them kudos. Mm -hmm. It's a silent thing, but I want them to know that I see it. You know what I mean? I see it and I'm rooting for you and I think it's amazing. I still want to beat you. But I think it's really great that you had this success. You know yes. what I mean? We had another local mortgage company put on an event that had a ton of realtors, and it was a success. I text all those managers. And I was like, event looked amazing. Congratulations. You know, stay on the follow-up. It looks really cool. Right. You know, something I've never done before. But then I was like, okay, so how do you make better than that event? You know what I mean? It's not, it has nothing. I'm very happy. I'm genuinely happy that they got that win, right? But I still want to beat them. Completely. Every single day. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't, I, I, there is definitely a big difference. And I don't know how to turn that off. Oh, no, well. <laughs> really kind of in anything. Yeah. Like, we can be playing Jenga, I want to beat you. It doesn't matter. Like, if we're playing Uno, I want to win. If you win, I'm still happy for you. But next time we play, I want to win. You want to win, absolutely. And it's not, I, you know, people think you can't have both of those. And I think that it, it, I think that it sometimes can cloud people's judgment of, of me or my intentions. And, you know, to be honest, I'm getting to the point to where I really don't care if that's what they think. But I know what's true to my heart. And what's true to my heart is, is I do want them to win. And I am excited for them when they win. But I still want to beat them. Well, the two dynamics that I see happening is if folks are upset or don't understand your true, inten true intentions is either A, they don't know you well enough, or B, they're jealous. That's, yeah. that's what I would Well, I say. hope it's not number two. I hope no. it's number one, and I, I hope that not. they would try to get to know me better. Exactly. Because I'm rooting for them maybe more than their own team. Right. Right. And that's for real. Yeah. I, I see loan officers all the time. I met a one yesterday that I didn't know before, and uh, she's relatively new in the industry, and we had a great conversation, and want to support her, want to help her grow. She works for a competitor. I don't care. If I can help you, if I can give you tidbits, you see how long I've been in the industry? How do you do this? How, mm -hmm. how have you, what have you done? I'm happy to help, because I'm not, I'm not worried. The relationships that I've built, it's up to me to maintain them. And if I've done my job right, and those relationships are genuine, I'm going to maintain those relationships, and you can't steal it from me. If you can, I have to look at myself. What did I do? I didn't do my job. I didn't do my job right. So to bolster another person in this industry and help them achieve success, you have nothing to worry about if you're taking care of business at home. Yeah, I completely agree. And I have conversations with people at other companies all the time that do the exact same thing we do. Every time I talk to someone I'm, is not a recruiting effort. Mm -hmm. It's just not. And I think people have a misconception that if I talk to this person, I'm trying to recruit them. I'm not. No. I'm not. 
and and whether you believe that or not doesn't matter to me because I know what I'm trying to do is give that person something that will help them. I don't need anything in return. But if I have something that I can give that person, it's my, you know, obligation. I feel obligated to give them something that's going to help them get to the next level or have success that they don't have right now because I've already made those 52 mistakes. So why wouldn't I give them one piece of advice? Has nothing to do with recruiting, has nothing to do with trying to get them to work with me, has everything to do with my lifelong passion to help. Correct. And sometimes I think people look at that and think, why are you talking to all these people? Why are you recruiting? I'm not recruiting them. I'm not recruiting them, I'm helping them. I, I, I spend almost, I would say close to 0% of my time <clears throat> trying to influence people to come work here. Most of the people that come work here ask to come work here. But when I talk to them, if there's something that they're struggling with, I'm going to give them help. Period. Doesn't matter. I don't care who you work for. Now, do you feel, is, is that, I mean, definitely that's part of your nature, but do you also feel like that has a lot to do with your faith? Sure. Because that's what, that's an Jesus, obligation. That's what Jesus expects of us. It's right? an obligation. Absolutely. Someone asks for five bucks and you give them five bucks and they do wrong with it. I did what I was supposed to. Right. My job is not to judge what they did. It's to judge what I did. Exactly. <clears throat> right? Mm -hmm. So I did what I was supposed to. Um, me and my son were at the um, Chevron in front of Home Depot on El Dorado. And a guy was behind us with his little girl. And he was like, hey, this is really embarrassing, but, you know, do you have a few bucks? I'm trying to get here. This is my car. And when I walked up, he was parked at the pump, had the trunk open, and they were sitting down. So I knew he didn't have money. Um, so, of course, I gave him all the small bills that I had. And, you know, he was thankful. He went and bought her food. I didn't see anything for him. And he didn't put any gas in the car. So we got to the truck. And then I got back out, and I gave him some more money. And my son was with me. Yeah. And when I gave him the other money I said hey fill your car up get wherever you need to be he started telling me he's like you know I made a lot of mistakes and I lost my wife and you know I recently about three months ago I found my religion and you know everybody tries to judge me but the only person that can judge me is Jesus Christ and he's just telling me this and I just stopped him and I just gave him a hug you know Absolutely. I was like look there are people that care enough about you not everybody's looking at you and casting judgment on you. Do what you need to do. Okay? Take just, who cares about all this other stuff? You know what I mean? Right. You've already made the most important decision. So now go forward and do what you need to do because, you know, he has a very small daughter with him too. Absolutely. So whatever comes of that, comes of that. But my, my son is like, why are you hugging a stranger? And I was like, in that moment, he wasn't a stranger anymore. Right. Right. He was a brother to me. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter what his past was. Doesn't matter. Right. Exactly. Everyone's got something in their past that they're embarrassed about, ashamed about. Sure. Um, so we, we can't really judge another human and where they are um, with, with the past, definitely. But even with the future, going forward, like right now, what can we do to help make their lives better today, to show them what... what they, their potential is what they could become. I was at Target about two months ago, I guess, and there was a whole family, husband, wife, two daughters, sitting out front of Target, and they were, didn't speak you know, a lot of English, but were able to convey that they needed some help, and I didn't have cash. I usually don't carry cash. But I went in Target and got a gift card. Was, I figured, go into Target, they've got food in there, they've mm -hmm. got Medicine You're already there. here. Whatever you need. I'm not going to send you somewhere else. Go, go into Target and get what you need. And, and uh, it, it just it feels good to be compassionate and care for others. Mm -hmm. It just does. I believe that if that guy would have had anything <clears throat> in his possession that I needed, he would have given it to me, and he had no money. Absolutely. So um, the unfortunate part is he will continue to be judged, and he will continue to be looked over. And in that moment, I just wanted him to know that people care. Well, I grew up with a great example of that in my father. Um, 
when I was younger, you know, of course it's not a very compassionate term, but when I was younger I'd call them strays. Dad was bringing home strays all the time. Different people that he had met that didn't have a place to stay, didn't have food, and it's my mom, my dad, and I had two brothers, and we were young. My dad was not at all worried, if he was, he didn't show it, about putting his family in danger, bringing people home that he didn't know very well to sleep on our couch. He did it all the time. Did it all the time. Hmm. He just he just cared about people and making sure they had whatever they needed to get through that day. Now we never let anybody permanently move in with us, you know, but it was like, hey, I'll help you for the night, I'll give you this, I'll give you that. And then, you know, tomorrow I'll help you figure out where to go to get better help. Yeah. And it was just the way of life I grew up with. Yeah, we had a large family, so we had family um, come in and out of our home all the time. Yeah. And it was the same thing, you know, someone down on their luck or someone just needed um, to get on their feet or whatever. That was just the way that we grew up. And, you know, I've said before that my mother was such an incredible giving person that, you know, that's the example. Right. You know, that was the example that I had. So I feel like I would be, I feel like she would be incredibly disappointed with me if I wasn't being the same way. And that's not why I do it. I do it because I understand um, that it is my obligation as a human to help other people when I can. Uh, and I understand that in a moment's notice, I could have to be on the other end of that, you know? And why would I be deserving of help if I've never helped anyone? Exactly. Exactly. It's like my pastor once said, he goes, when, you know, if you think about someone in a prison, you're on this side of the glass, they're on that side of the glass, and you're talking to them. You are one mistake away from being where they are. 100%. One mistake, one, maybe not even a mistake that you've made, just a catastrophe in your life. One mistake away from being where they are. And he's, he's so right. Well, I think for me, in the back of my head, every time I see someone that's in the position that that uh, young man was, I think back to, you know, seven times I've pushed our entire livelihood to the center and went for it. And only It only would have taken one of those to go catastrophically wrong. Exactly. And I would have been there in the same position he was with a wife and two children. Right. And, you know, who am I to judge? Exactly. 